going to your butt. I'm, of course, surprised that a story had such an immediate and profound effect upon radio listeners. Hooey pleases the boobs a great deal more than sense. Whoa, it's us! We're in a lot of trouble! In politics, man must learn to rise above principle. What the hell are we doing here? We are behaving the way a superpower ought to behave. Well, our behavior has produced some crappy results. What we're witnessing now is the failure of the state. It is a death struggle for our republic. Giving voice to liberty in our time. Jimmy Carter. Welcome, 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 welcome to it, folks. What's going on? Listen to the Joey Clark Radio Hour here on a Friday evening. Brandon God's Gift Ross is here. How y'all doing? Mr. Seth Spotlow is here. Woo! And, uh, you know, sometimes you get looking at uh, your past self. And I think more and more these days, uh, people will be able to document their lives, maybe not in the detailed way, maybe not in the psychological state you're in or knowing everything, but a lot of people's lives, and I think this is worse because you two are in your 30s, I just turned 30, but I think for people now 20, and I can't even imagine for people just starting their teenage years, how much of your early life will be documented? The good things... And especially, though, the bad things, like the intemperate outbursts on social media, that blog post you threw out when you, you know, had read some fancy pants book, and you're like, oh, I'm an expert now. Well, well. It makes me wonder how much will be documented. Well, at the same time, you have to look at it from the other side, because now you don't have a million people, a million of your friends trying to tell your story. You're telling your own story. So, there, so, so there's no Hollywood type thing. It's yeah, just, you might hey. be telling your own story, but we've seen now, and maybe we'll mature as a society. Mm-hmm. But we'll we see it every day. The sort of uh, burning at the stake, metaphorically speaking, of course, of people by like Twitter and social media outrage mobs. You say maturing, right? Yeah, and maturing is the idea because whenever I was 18. I would, man, doing crazy stuff, you know, being an idiot. 20s. You're a much different person, though. Yeah, I'm not who I used to be. And I'm glad that Facebook and stuff wasn't out there because, man, if look at my Facebook all the way down to the bottom. Go to the last pictures. And those are, the, like, the worst ones. Right. And before that, there wasn't stuff like this. So, it, yeah, it makes me wonder. Well, here's the thing. I, hopefully, people will be allowed to integrate that because though you're a different person than your 18-year-old self, and so am I, and I think everybody is, you still, I think, carry with you who you were at 18 but and now, the experiences you had. And the best thing to do is to help make sense of those things. And sort of, I think a lot of people will push that past that's something they're ashamed of. Just push it away. Sometimes people literally forget it. They, they, their mind will play a trick on them where they will forget a memory. Well, it's it's that, and then it's the fact that, like we've talked about before, your experiences change who you are over time. Mm-hmm. And so, yes, it's hard to remember 18. Wow. 
what was I like at 18? I can't quite remember. But then, like you said, you can go back on your Facebook or on your Twitter, look at some of those video blogs and be like, wow, I was going through a dark phase at 18. You know? Well, I found something earlier today. I was just doing some self-inventory. Okay. And the more I look not only at politics proper, like the fight over political power, and we can see the news this day was a crap show. Oh, of course. I mean, unfortunately, there wasn't any big deal made at the summit with Kim Jong-un. It's not the end of the world, though, yet. Uh, looks like they might very well, in, in due time, get something done. That's what I'm hoping. They're, the pressure campaign and the posturing will continue. But the U.S. is ending large-scale military activities. After Kim Jong-un agreed to no more missile testing in the air, these sort of things, firing off missiles like he was, Trump, as a sign of good faith, said we're going to end the joint exercises. And these were massive military exercises in South Korea. And, I mean, they, are, they were meant not only to create readiness for the troops and for the soldiers and for the people running those things, but it was also meant as a very intimidating deterrent well, yeah, to North Korea. It's, it's like the school bully who comes right in front of you and starts doing 100 push-ups. Right. You know, just, <laughs> just, just, just to let you know, like, hey, I'm here. Oh, I'm fixing to get beat up. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, hey, I want you to come here. Come here. Come hey, here. Hey, hey, your lunch money. I need that. No, man, I want you, you ain't getting my biscuit. I want, you to, I want you to come here. Walk with me. Walk with me, <laughs> Exactly. Man. Walk with me to this old part of the school this now dilapidated defunct area of the school you see that old locker right there yeah number 114 why don't you open that up and the little kid your scared little self's looking at this bully and you're you pull open the locker and it's like pairs upon pairs of whitey tidies hanging in this locker but they're torn he goes yeah you see that don't make me give you that wedgie because I will rip the underwear right from your crack all the way up to your forehead. You don't want that young man, so give me that lunch money. That's essentially what the U.S. was doing <laughs> when it was doing these joint exercises. They were essentially intimidating the North Koreans. Hell, the North Koreans were responding in kind. I mean, the estimates if there was actually war in the Korean Peninsula is millions would die. Wow. Not to mention, that's just the direct combat between, say, South Korea and North Korea. And that would be Koreans, that would be Americans stationed there. Probably destroy the whole country. And that's just, just a, overnight. a limited estimate, because once something like that starts to happen, who knows what Russia does? It's right there on their doorstep to their east. It's right there next to China. Who well, knows what they well, do? Well, well why, don't, why, don't we, why don't we just ask Donald Trump's wife? She knows. Melania? Yeah, she knows everything. You think Melania is actually in the know? Ivanka. Yeah, Ivanka probably is in the know. Jared Kushner is very much in the know. I think he's one of the most powerful people in the current administration. He really is. If you shaved, you'd look just like him. His, no, his, no, how his, dare you? His name is Kushner. <laughs> Jared Kushner, yeah. yeah that, that sounds like a spy name. And apparently he is, uh, he, there were low expectations, but he's he's made it in with a lot of powerful people around the world. Impressed a lot of people, apparently. So we'll see where that goes. But I thought that was kind of the biggest world historical news of the week is what's going on, the continuing negotiations between President Trump and, and North Korea. Uh, but then, of course, we had the Michael Cohen case. And talk mm -hmm. about, uh, like, DJ Fresh downstairs asked me about it. Yeah. And the one word that came to my mind is icky. Just, uh, why, why do you say that? No, because if, the way it's being played, it's one thing to go. I uh, paid, uh, I paid Mr. Pekka 
of the National Enquirer to uh, catch and kill is what I called it. We would catch a story that was embarrassing about Mr. Trump and uh, like he slept with a Playboy Playmate and a porn star. Why these things are embarrassing, I'm not sure because, you know, I thought it was awesome at the time. But Mr. Trump told me they were embarrassing to him. So we went and paid Mr. Pecker, David Pecker of the National Enquirer and AMI and uh, we would pay for the story and we would kill it so it would never see the light of day. I mean, I was working with Stephanie Clifford and her counsel all the time, got her to sign the non-disclosure agreement. I did the, and I, this is what I pled guilty to in the Southern District of New York. Well, and I mean, really, he, he did not have to plead guilty to that. He could have fought it. Well, well it makes me think just, there was something else hanging over his head they were going to get him on. Yeah, yeah, but see, my whole thing is powerful people with money has been doing that for years. Right. Especially, you got to think, back in the, like, 20s and 30s, you didn't dare... Report the news. Well, and it's it's not that they're How necessarily powerful and have money is why they do it. No, I think they do it because they're people. Mm. I think if I think here's my point, Brandon. Okay. okay. If you and I had a bunch of money mm. and we had power <laughs> and we did something maybe in a dark room that we didn't want to be sung from the rooftops, we would probably like, oh, uh, uh, mm-hmm. find ourselves a Michael Cohen, a fixer. <laughs> like, there's a reason powerful people have been doing that. Well, it's because they they have the means to protect themselves in that way. Whereas I think there are less powerful people and people that aren't anywhere near wealthy by standards, say, Trump's level, that will try to protect themselves. They just don't have the same means. They yeah, have the, the same motivation. Well, well, they end up on first 48, apparently. First 48? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Now, fill me in on that. First Forty Eight is like you ever watched it? No. Oh, it's good. oh, it's it's basically cops for the two thousand. They give okay. up after two days. It, it, exactly, exactly. You okay. Usually put a, a whopper in in the interrogation room, and you always know when they give up because they do one of these. <sighs> they, <laughs> wait, wait, wait a minute. So it's the first forty eight hours after a crime has been committed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. And and um, you know, usually they go to commercial break, then they come back, and the guy is relaxed. He's smoking a cigarette. He's got his hamburger in his hand, and he's basically told everything. Tissues right. on the table. Exactly. You know, they well, got that one detective that that's like his mom, and it's like, what would your mother say? And he, then he just he throws <laughs> it. <sighs> right. <laughs> yeah, or it's like those song. sad, despicable guys. What was it? The catch a, to catch a predator, oh, or catch man. a predator episodes where. Hanson, like, where they're walking no, in and no, they've no, no, got... Just, just come back, come back. They've got, like, prophylactics. They've got no, no, no cookies. This is, this is, and, this is the crazy thing. And they walk thing. in and it's Chris Hansen and it's like, oh, this is... I didn't enjoy watching that wait, at wait, all. Wait, wait a minute. Like, no, Ugh. no. This one guy got caught on one episode, got, got his bail, posted his bond, and then did the same thing the next night and got caught on the very next episode. It was the same guy. Wow. Chris I wonder Han- how many people those charges actually stuck. Didn't something happen to him? Chris Hansen? I, yeah, I yes. think he did so. something weird, too. Yeah. Okay, I'm still stuck on you saying icky. Icky. You well, said uh, it- uh, this is what I was about to make the point of why I was saying icky. Is that, uh, yes, there were things powerful people do in order to protect themselves. But I was more looking at, like, all the congressmen and women on both sides, Republicans and Democrats, and I was looking at them thinking in terms of like social media keeps alive all your hopes and dreams, especially for kids now turning 13, 14. <laughs> like, I want to look at those congressmen and women and say, hey, hey, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, you're not that far removed from your childhood. 
Is this what you wanted to be when you grew up? That you would be up here accosting, even with righteous and noble intentions, a guy named Michael Cohen, a fixer for Mr. Trump, about Trump devaluing and or valuing less his property so he didn't have to pay as much in taxes and you're getting all hot and heavy over it like oh we got something on the and it's more the republicans too like chastising cohen left to right he's a known liar he lied to congress that's why he's going to jail and yet we're invited huh. him to talk to congress again my point is this mm-hmm. is like i looked at all those folks like Jim Jordan, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, whatever side you're on, whatever. And there are some basic things, I think, that are give us a glimpse into what the Southern District of New York is thinking in terms of what they're going after, what they're investigating, and what Mueller's thinking a little bit. Okay. I think that's the interesting part. But generally, the whole spectacle, the whole political theater here, I found it icky. Because even if you ask young people, what do you want to be when you grow up? And they say, I want to be a congressman. I want to be a governor. I want to be a senator. I want to be president of the United States, you hear Mr. That Joey. One. You don't hear the other one. Well, I, 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 I was getting, I was getting ready to say, unless you go to a Christian academy and have been <laughs> and have been in a in a uh, magnet school your whole life, you don't you don't say political circles or anything like that. You know, most of it is, oh, I want to be a basketball star, rapper. Uh, I may want to own my own business one day. Yeah, there's a you know that's I, a I think that's a great aim. Own your you know, own business. I, I, I may want to pimp other people's rides. You know, stuff <laughs> like that. I'm, I'm glad, glad you said, you said other said. people's rides. Woo, you got that right, man. Yeah, I was like, growing a feather and a hat. Yeah, <laughs> like do not. You don't want to be a pimp. You when said you're icky. Up. I've never heard. I haven't heard icky. Oh, because I when you say there are kids. Who say, I want to be president. And that's the conversation. That Now that Barack Obama's been president, little black kids can say, oh, I could be president one day. That's the line you heard. And mm-hmm. and also you see anybody, if Hillary Clinton had become president or, you know, Kirsten Gillibrand or Kamala Harris or any girl now could look up and say, I one day can be president of the United States. And it's this idealistic thing. Even when people say, hold on one second, even when people say... I want to be president one day. You're right, though, Brandon. Most people don't say that. But say a little kid does. Say it's not a little kid. Say it's somebody who went to college and they kind of fell in love with politics and with the, the mythos and the ethos of this nation. Like what it has stood for and its highest ideals and all the history that's complicated, fighting for noble causes, living up to the idea of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness and equality for all and in respect of the law. This carrying on the march of civil rights and more liberties and more opportunity for everybody from all walks of life. I'm in the fantasy with you so far. That's what I mean. Is that's though usually the, uh, for lack of a better word, gateway drug is the ideals. And it makes me look at all these Congress people up there and go, were you that person? And what happened to that person? Now, some of them might have a good answer. But most of them, as I'm watching them play this game of political theater with Michael Cohen, of all people, as the centerpiece, that's the source of the ick, by the way. The guy looks like he's from a low-budget mob movie. Not not The Sopranos, mind you, like a low-budget mob movie now, that now, nobody ever went and saw. Now, now, I'm glad you said that. Two points. Number one, just like the Emmys this year and the Oscars, uh, they gave minorities one. You know, most most minorities won this year. Yeah. So so we're going to see how long it's going to take for that to happen again. That's number one. Number two, 
as far as Cohen, he is the fall guy. That's it. That's his role. He is the fall guy. Both sides are going to portray you. He's going to he's going to uh, get get a slap on the wrist, write a book about it, make mm-hmm. millions. And tell on everybody. Well, that's actually the criticism coming at him today from the White House. Is he claimed like the meeting with Putin in Helsinki, where Trump was so deferential to Putin, really turned him off? What Trump said after Charlottesville, there are good people on both sides. That really turned Michael Cohen off. But here's the thing. After those events occurred, mm-hmm. Cohen already had essentially a manuscript and talks to write a book that was glowing about Trump. So it's like, dude... Did those things actually make you not like the guy? Oh, and lying to the first lady. I didn't like lying to the first lady. He wanted this book deal, and the book was supposed to be not a tell-all. Yeah. Like, oh, I'm, I'm going to give the dirt on the Trumps. No, it was this glowing, when I work for Mr. Trump, it was like basking in the sun on a nice, warm day. Not too warm, not too humid. It's like living down in Santa Fe on a great day, you know, dry uh, weather, what? wonderful weather, what? you know, sitting on your back porch enjoying it was that's what it was like to work in the ormus he was gonna give this glowing re- well, book uh, and well, now he's coming out and because he what he needs to say in order to protect his butt is all the bad things about trump well well yeah because guess what i don't want to go to prison right well he's still going too to prison late for three too years late, no. he doesn't want to go to prison for, for 50, 50, 50 70 years yeah, whatever it is. Yeah. he's going down but it's icky in my sense that that guy's the centerpiece all these people, and it's not just that day. Okay. It's not just these last few days. It's more the, I watch these congressmen and women, senators, presidents come and go. Okay. And talking heads. I wonder what happened, because this usually is the gateway to these idealistic people that were trying to best serve the nation. I had this idea when I was growing up. That's why I like youth legislature, in the sense that, Okay, you put your best arguments out there on the floor. Okay. You advance it honestly. There are very few people who do that. They still exist, but very few. Okay. And they're on both sides. I'm not being a partisan here. There are some people who do that, and noticeably, they don't usually get the press coverage. We'll put it that way. I feel like the bad ones come from money. Hmm. Did you get all that money and then the, the opportunity to do dirty and good is there. Well, yes, there. it's the old adage of power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely. A friend of mine named Larry Reed added something to that. He said power also attracts the already corrupted, to it, your that, point. So. And, and that that's true, because I was going to say on the other side of that, Seth, you have a lot of people who, do, who don't come from money, but they want that power. Like, mm-hmm. they're willing, like, hey, once I get the power, no one's ever going to Take this out of my hand. Well, and there's something about that if you grow up in kind of terrible circumstances and you make it out of that situation, they usually go to incredible heights. I mean, I think of like the moguls out there in the black community who started, like Jay-Z started in terrible circumstances. Yeah, Uh, Puff Daddy. uh, Right. And there's a drive that if you're in that situation, you realize, I don't want to be in this situation it will give you a drive more than, say, maybe the trust fund kid has. And, 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 can't and, stop me. And you know what's crazy? <laughs> right. Between Jay-Z and uh, Puff Daddy, if you look at, like, how much music is a part of their portfolio now, like, it's maybe 10%. Right. 
That was just the music was just the the beginning, the la- the first few rungs on the ladder. It, it, exactly, like Jay Z really doesn't even do like unless Beyonce's doing something, he'll jump on that. But he re- him himself, he really doesn't do albums anymore. Man, back right. in the day, Master P had houses. <laughs> I'm just saying, I'm old. Well, no, and it's smart. Diversify, grow your portfolio, and also in the process of being an entrepreneur, and making money for yourself, you can help out your community, whether through charity or starting businesses and places. It's the way to do but, it. But but see, that's why you would never see like like Master P and all of them. Yeah, that's great. But I'll, I'll take you even further back with Sam Cooke. Sam hmm. Cooke had the bright idea of not only starting his own record label. But a distribution. Right. So artists who make music with me will will see benefits from their distribution sales. They'll get a piece of their own records. Right. Nobody else was offering that deal at that time. And he, he made money. Well, and here's my deal. Let's go back in Joey's own life. Okay. Not to when Joey was all idealistic and fell in love with politics. Like, it's the smartest people with the best arguments and we're putting our best foot forward. And trying to come to some solution. And sometimes you have to fight evil and stand up against evil arguments. But when you have good ideas, make bad ideas in the marketplace of ideas, in the halls of Congress. And when you give a good speech to people and inspire them to do great things for themselves and their community and their nation. That this is what politics is all about. Joey fell from that. Uh (laughs) I fell from that. And it wasn't too long after I started working here, though maybe a little before that as well. Mm. It wasn't just covering politics every day in and day out. But I, let's go back to, say, I, when I graduated from college in 2011. So let's go back to October 29th, 2014. I'm trying to think what was going on politically around then. Barack Obama was president. Good time. The Republicans had control of the Senate and the House. Edward Snowden's revelations had come out in 2013. Oh, yeah. That is one of the biggest things I think that's happened uh, even in the last decade or two. What he revealed to the American people like, we're still dealing with. Like, yeah, your lives are just basically... Mass surveillance. Oh, oh of course. I mean, look, look... And the fight of political power over that... Over, the fight over that power to can watch everybody. Well, I mean, well, that's you, what's going on right I mean, now. Look, look at the card that's in your wallet right now. Guarantee you it has a chip on it. Oh, absolutely. And, and now oh, they don't... this smartphone here, it's always watching oh, yeah. us. Uh, yeah, and then the crazy thing is, like, I noticed in the grocery store it says uh, swipe or put in the chip. It doesn't even let you swipe if you have a chip card. It's mm-hmm. like, oh, no, you're going to put that chip in and we're going to see what you're buying. Month to month, day to day. So... Let's go back to 2014, Mm -hmm. October 29th. And when I looked, and it's on my blog, it's still online. And I wrote, power is impatient. A short reflection, to say it in Trump's terms, 1 Corinthians 13.4, 1 Corinthians. That's the classic one you might hear at uh, weddings about love. And so I took that and did a little twist on it. Where it wasn't about love, but it was about power. We talk about this a lot. Of course. Of course. You hear me talk about it all the time, Seth. So this was 2014, Joey. I've now, I think, grown up a little bit from this. I still agree with it. And it's still right at the heart of me watching that congressional body interview, Cohen. Yeah. And be like, ew. Is this really what we're doing? But here it is. It's just a nice twist on 1 Corinthians. 
Power is in... Excuse me. I've got to start over. Mulligan! Ah! Mulligan. <laughs> Be with me, folks. Power is impatient. Power is not kind. It is quick to envy, quick to boast, and it is always proud. It does dishonor to others and is self-seeking in the name of others. It is easily angered, and it keeps a long record of perceived wrongs. Power delights in evil, but does so while claiming to rejoice with the good and the true. It only protects its own. It only trusts its own. It only hopes its own province will forever persevere. But power always fails, especially when it masquerades as love, as liberation, and as truth. For men like to pretend that when they were children, they thought like children, and talked like children, and reasoned like children. But now, as men, they have put aside their ways of childhood. But most are still children, whiskered and whiskey-soaked, a reflection of their younger selves cast anew in the gilding of their years on earth. Their masks become more chiseled, more hardened, more weathered. But concealed are still the same little cherub-faced boys or girls, fearful and envious, yet still strangely sentimental as they long for the best life has to offer. Politics, folks, is first found at the home, then the schoolyard mud and tussle, then the bedroom romp and rustle, then the boardroom hustle and bustle until it finds a seat in gaudy temples of power and pretends it's past will be its selfish salvation in the future minds of others. But in the end, it's still power, and it's still politics. Hmm. That definitely definitely was college, Joey. No, that was 2014. That's good, man. And actually, that's the real answer to why did I say icky. Because I see congressmen and women, and I see Cohen himself... And, yes, they're full-grown adults, and they have all their faculties for the most part. They're all lucid to a degree. I mean, I do wonder how many I wonder how many pharmaceutical prescriptions are given to congressmen and women. I just wonder. I've sometimes seen changes in people once they go up there. They're like, really hyper. <laughs> really like, red. Yeah, it's like, are you on Adderall? Yes. Like, are you on uh, Xanax? Xanax? Why are you no, so that red? Like, yeah, exactly. What is, no, what's the other one? Vyvanse? Are yeah. you on, oh, oh, yeah. You get that. I need that focus. Yeah. It's starting to sound like Alex Jones over here. Confifi. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but at the end of the day, I see them as sort of like you see kids, but kids just wear it on their sleeve. They really do. They wear all that, I don't know, fear and envy on their sleeve. Like when a kid sees something they don't understand, they're going to run away for the most. Some kids don't, but most are going to go, Ooh, what do I do? And that's what I was seeing this week um, and reminded of this week. And Man, if this was five years ago, not even five years ago, four and a half years ago. Okay. I still agree with it, but I I do have to say that probably when I wrote this, it was like like throwing a brick bat through a window. Like, ooh, I got him. I understand this. But then as I've gotten a little older and four years removed from writing this, I have come to realize, number one, all those things I said about the people up there in Congress... And it's kind of what I said about people with the power of money. Mm-hmm. Is if I had the same opportunities or the same temptations, the same means as them, I would probably behave just as badly as they do, if not worse. The idea is the tyrant in you is the tyrant in me. 
Um, we all have a little bit of that in us, a little bit of fear, a little bit of envy, a little bit of anger, it just, it and just, always patience. It just takes things. the right thing to bring it out. And you always have choice. And also, it's sort of a, I was still idealistic in sense that you call out power, then you can sort of control it. You can limit it. You can reform it. Um, you can and, hope to. Right. But now, I think you can still have that hope. I think you can still have that faith. But you also should not delude yourself to think you'll absolutely and forever get rid of it. And you should be very aware of that, what I just said, that in trying to capture an institution and change it and reform it for the better, institutions often capture people, especially institutions loaded with power. And money. Yes. Well, I mean, that's a massive power in our society uh, today. But on that note, folks, I want to talk about... Eddie Bader with the Goodson Group. Because a lot of money might make you suspect in some people's minds, but enough money to own your own home, to own your little plot on this wonderful earth here in this great state of Alabama, here in the river region, that's nothing corrupt. There's nothing suspect about that. That's the that's the dream. That's part of the dream. Okay. Owning your own home. So Eddie Bader with the Goodson Group can be the man who is your buyer's agent. I want to talk to you out there sitting back. Maybe you're in your car. Maybe you're hearing this on the podcast and you're renting. You're like, I don't make, I don't, I don't make enough money to do anything other than rent. And I was that way. But let Eddie Bader with the Goodson Group, if you give him a call... Say 322-0662, and Eddie answers, hey, this is Eddie Bader. He say, Eddie, I heard Joey Clark talking on the radio, and he was talking about power and, and young people becoming old people. It was, it was a weird show, but he did mention that you could change my mind, that I'm not actually stuck in a rut. How can you get me out of this funk of constantly renting and being the one at tax time who doesn't get that deduction? And how, how, why do I have to continue to put up with landlords and... The rest of not actually owning, Eddie will show you options, folks. He will open your eyes to homes that are affordable and within your price range. If your, your credit's not together, he can hook you up with the people that will get your credit in order. Programs and that you can work with that can... Absolutely. There's all sorts of things out there that somebody like Eddie Bader has, because he's been around the block a few times with real estate, gotcha. improving his own life and improving others' lives. He knows these programs. He knows how to look at your particular situation and say, hmm, this is how I can help you. He's, a, he's very gifted at it. Very gifted at it. So if you're interested in buying a home, especially if you're a potential first-time home buyer or selling your home, Eddie's expertise applies to you selling, whether it's you know a successful open house or proper renovations or repairs so you can get top dollar on the market and get it off the market quickly. Eddie Bader with the Goodson Group is your go-to all-around real estate agent, your buyer's agent, your seller's agent. He's the man. So give him a call. Eddie Bader with the Goodson Group, 322-0662. What's that number, Seth? 322-0662. Sweet. Eddie Bader with the Goodson Group. We'll be back right after this, folks. Joey Clark. Ooh, I hated to the great guy. Not much. 
love some CCR. Good suggestion, Brandon. Oh, yeah, yeah oh, man. Yeah. That's awesome. I'm jamming to that. Yeah, this is the guitar solo part. It's real down to earth. Yeah. I like it. Grooving, man. How many people have done this song? So I'm, many. I'm counting four on the top of my head. Mm. Well, we're master imitators. Like, so a song that's that good, it's like, ooh, I want to do my own version of it. Change the cadence just a little bit. Well, and they brought it down to that Bayou Rock Soul thing they got going on. And it's just, oh, it's so good. Speaking of that, last night was awesome. Last night? Last night's show was great, dude. Oh, with Dave Mallory. Yeah, I listened to your Dave, man. That was Yeah, folks can check it out uh, on the podcast. It was really, really good, man. Everywhere podcasts are available. So iTunes, Apple Podcast, Spotify, it's up there now. It's up there on Google Play, I believe. Stitcher, SoundCloud. Totally you can follow me on the Book of Faces and find it that way. Book of yeah, Faces. Yeah. I, I forgot about that. Totally worth it. It's really, I mean, it was a great show. It's it really kind of was. just a free-flowing discussion. He's a huge Rolling Stones fan. I, I could tell, man. He's really, an, he's a Stones fan the way I'm a Prince fan. That's awesome. Yeah. And I, I feel like about every 30 years, it's a 30-year cycle, you know? He said something about like 20 or something. But yeah. I think it's like 30 years, everything repeats itself. Well, and there's a thing about the Rolling Stones, and Dave and I will probably continue this conversation, where they're not like technically... Dead. No. <laughs> well, yeah. Well, well put. Um, well put. Very well put. But they, uh, they're not like virtuosos by any means. Like, there are other people who they can play blues guitar or rock guitar better than Keith Richards. They really are. But they're not dead. Yeah, right. But they're not. And there are people that can sing better than Mick Jagger. But they're not Mick Jagger. They're, they don't have the moves like Jagger. Yeah, there's something... You can't quite put your, the, the, you know, if I want to be hoity-toity and pretentious, the French je ne sais quoi. Like, I don't know what. Like, there's something you can't quite put your finger on the Rolling Stones. They're almost like rock and roll mythology, but they're living. They're like living myths, and they actually did that crap. And so I think that's part of their, they put it really well last night. They're the soundtrack to so many people's lives without you knowing they're the soundtrack, but they're always there. There's so I, many good Rolling Stones songs. I, I, I kind of feel the same way about Elton John. Elton John's that way, yes. Yeah, like over the years, he's just wrote like these iconic songs that you just kind of hear on classic rock stations. Like I forgot Elton John wrote that, <laughs> right? And then yeah, back in the day, man, his great like hits when he was a songwriter. But then think of our childhoods. It's like it's the circle of life. Oh man. Oh, man. Like the Lion King is undeniably what a great story, number one. I got one for you for Dave whenever he comes in next time. Um, do you think that Skinnerd would be where the Stones are if they would have gotten on the plane? If they had died? If they had gotten on the plane. All of them had died? To, well, and you know, because they were supposed to take the plane that Skinnerd took when it crashed. Oh, the Rolling Stones were? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, I think in a way that, yeah, I think the Stones would still live on. They had already really accomplished yeah, how, most of their greatness. I'm talking way. about you think Skinner if they if they would still be alive now, and then the Stones would have taken it and crashed. You think Skinner would be where the Stones it's are now? It's hard to say because different it, different genres. It's the same it. thing with like Janis Joplin and Jimi Hendrix and uh, yeah. Jim Morrison is like okay, they all die at 27, and it makes them essentially rock and roll martyrs yeah. for the cause and yeah. the lifestyle. Amy Winehouse. And though it would be cool, like, for instance, Buddy Guy 
is one of my favorite blues guitar players ever. Buddy Guy is still putting on concerts, and he's still a badass on the guitar. So maybe Jimi Hendrix would have been that way. I'm, I'm trying to think. What know. was the name of the artist that was on the plane with Otis Redding? Uh, Buddy Holly? Mm, maybe. Yeah, it might have been Buddy yeah, Holly. Yeah, I'm not certain. But, but is, is speculation about that? Like, what would he have been, him and Otis Redding? Like, because it's like Otis dies, and a few weeks later, one of his greatest songs sitting on the dock of the bay comes out. And it's, it was kind of like he kind of knew something yeah. was going to happen. And that's eerie stuff And, right and there. that's just like um, Sam Cooke. He records, a change is going to come, yeah. and then a few months later, he's dead. Well, it's the classic story of the guy who had the vision, the guy who knew the way and could articulate it in eloquent ways, doesn't reach the promised land. So Moses didn't reach the promised land. MLK didn't reach the promised land. I, 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 I'm. What did MLK say though? Uh, I may not get there with you, but I'll get there. Just. I mean, the night, right. the night before he dies, he gave an eerie speech in that regard. Exactly. He knew it was coming. And, and, I, and I'll give you something because conspiracy theorists say eat eat this up. Yeah. The hotel in Memphis where Martin Luther King would be shot mm. four years earlier, uh, Sam Cooke staged a um, sit-in. Because mm. he did not want to play in front of a segregated crowd. And he was the only artist who sat at the Lorraine Hotel. Hmm. A few rooms down from where, from where King would later be shot. Wow. And it was like four years different. It was 64 when this happened with uh, Sam Cooke. And in 68 is well, when it happened with King. All my rock stars are dead. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But real quick before we move away from Memphis. Uh, I talked about this with uh, Skipper. Um, when we were talking about the music in 1968, got to get him back in. That was a good do. one, too. Yeah, we need to, again, that's on the podcast, folks. You can yes. look it up in the archives of the oh, Joey Clark man, Radio that... Hour. Just search it on, on those podcast platforms. Anyway, uh, we're going to get a show with him, maybe a few others, about the music in 1969. Think about it, 50 years. Awesome, man. I'd love but to. But when we were talking about the music of 68, we were talking about, uh, I think, what was it, Stax Records. Mm. And I think their recording studio was right there in Memphis. Yep. And when riots, I mean, clearly you, we understand why there were riots after MLK is shot. The rioters did not touch stacks. Oh, they touched was... everything else, but they did not touch. The, it's almost like stacks was that sacred ground. Well, well, that, it, it's like Switzerland. Like, uh, mm -hmm. do you remember the first barbershop movie? You know, they were getting ready not to throw. Not really, but well, I do. Well, the scene was I they do. were getting ready to throw the Molotov cocktail through the window. Not there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but Cedric the Entertainer just kind of stood in front of the window, like, mm mm. This place no, is uh -huh. yeah, yeah. here. Yeah, this is Switzerland. This is sacred ground. This place is cool. Like, don't touch anything else. Tear down anything else. Not this place. And and he's and he told him, well, that's the story of why I don't have to pay Boo for it. Because your father seen I did that for him. Mm. Was okay. Like, hey, you never have to pay anything in this shop again. Yeah. Well, and it was cool. Next time you see me and I trim, it's because I saw Cedric the Entertainer on Ellen yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, well, what's going on with Cedric? He, he just had a, a mustache and goatee. It looked really nice, man. I yeah. was like, man, okay. I look like that. Yeah, right. yeah, he kind of tri trimmed the mutton chops down. Yeah. Right. All right. All Give right. me an idea. But Seth, you just made a comment about all your rock stars are dead. Yeah, man, I, I'm stuck in the 90s, you know, mid-90s. Um, so who's dead? Uh, let's see. Kurt Cobain. Well, besides Cobain. that, you know, I mean, I'm never a big fan well, of that. But Cor I'm talking like Cornell. Cornell's uh, dead now, yeah. Uh, Lane Staley, uh, STP, uh, what's his name? Scott Weiland, uh, and then the dude from, uh, I'm not a big Linkin Park guy, but he's, you know, and it's just all these sad, depressed guys. What do you expect? 
They're sad oh and they're depressed. God. But you know, you know what? That's my number one knock on a, that type of music. I'm never going to deny like the the music itself. Like yeah. it's really well put together. But a lot of rock and roll lost me because it's it is so well, sad well, and well, depressing. Well, let, let, and that might uh, reach people that are going through the same thing. Wait, wait a minute, but let me hit you yeah. over the head with this. A lot of the jazz and stuff that you love. Oh yeah, blues and depressing. You know, oh, Ella yeah. Fitzgerald. They were very depressed individuals. Oh, well, and the blues comes out of that. Man. Exactly. I mean, that is the but, blues. But, but the jazz of that time, too. You know, Duke Ellington, Ella Fitzgerald. Yeah. You know, a lot of that was, you know, depressing stuff from their childhood, stuff that they continued to go through. They just sung about it. Right. I think that's right. why I sing you music. But a lot of that stuff's covers. I love covers. Yeah. Because my, my I mean, well, my really stuff cool. does... Ri- stuff from the 80s and back in the day and it's just like yeah man that was a good song back then and you guys rock and you're well, not a successful cover like when a band takes a cover and makes it their own um like i heard this on a podcast the other day i think bob dylan said once Jimi hendrix did all along the watchtower bob was like uh that's not my song anymore that's jimmy's <laughs> oh yeah <laughs> give it up to him man um yeah like that is clearly jimmy took it to a whole other level like put his spin on it so when an artist can take a classic song and put their own spin on it and it's like a whole new thing it's so it's just a reminder of its music is not paint by number I mean, there's some science to it, and you can find certain patterns, but it's really about that consciousness in somebody well, and their it, special it, gift of being able to filter what well, they well, want. Well, it, it depends on the type of artist, because you have some artists who are just emotional singers. Mm-hmm. Like, just, they can come in that moment, like, Luther was a master of that. Right. You know, he can get you at a live stage show. Now, you've heard his albums before, but, you know, to hear him live, it it was a whole nother experience. Well, I was I was thinking of Freddie Mercury. Um, oh, I think man. the right Queen. guy won Best Actor, by the way, at yeah. the Oscars. He, he, deserved, he deserved that. I mean, he was fantastic in that movie. He really did become Freddie. And what a heartbreaking um, story. Story, yeah. That was terrible. In particular, the love story. Like, Freddie really did love Mary, but as he's out on the road seeing the world, he's like, oh, I'm gay. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean... Well, well, it's kind of the story you're going to see with Elton John when right. he comes out. Right, and I think they did a good job in that movie, too, where it didn't become about the decadence and debauchery. It was just, that was always, I think, tastefully done in the movie where it's in the shadows. They hinted at everything. Kind of how a lot, it was almost like you are somebody in Freddie's close circle as he's coming up, and that's maybe what how you would have seen it. That's how Mary would have seen it. It's how Brian May and you know other band members would have seen it. So I think they did a great job, but... I was listening to uh, David Lee Roth on Joe Rogan's podcast. By the way, folks, if you don't know much about David Lee Roth, go listen or watch that podcast. David Lee Roth is a remarkable man. Mm -hmm. Like, in his intelligence, his, like, drive, like, what he calls it is cross-trading. That, you know, I'm going to go to Japan and learn calligraphy, knowing that I'm never going to be great at calligraphy. And and it takes me six months for the guy teaching me to even say a word beyond no. <laughs> and then he finally goes better. And he finally, <laughs> and he finally, like, yes, eight, nine months in, sits down and has a drink of sake with me, you know, because I've been so dutiful in my learning. But it's like, why would David Lee Roth, this guy with all this money, this rock star, do that? He said, it's cross-training. That if I throw myself into learning calligraphy, if I throw myself into learning Japanese, Spanish, if I remember in my life all the neighborhoods I grew up in in Southern California, all the people I had to perform, different types of people, if I can take all these experiences in life, 
climbing uh, rock faces and mountains and stuff. If I can find anything in life that keeps me sharp and keeps me in the moment, and I have to focus and learn, that will come out in my voice on stage. That's his thought. I think it's a brilliant way of thinking. He's not big on destinations. He's big on this idea of constantly be in the moment working towards things, but it's a process. Everything works together. Well, that, that's it's what I'm very, saying. Very, very, very it makes that you can't teach an old dog new tricks go away. Right. Because Yeah, but at, at, at the same time, you have to look at the fact if money is not an issue for you, then yes, you can you can explore things like that, but for the average one of us, you know, we may get an hour or two a week to dedicate to our passions and stuff right. like that. Well, and it's a matter of finding those passions and making the time. And it's not the goal necessarily being an expert. It's just being passionate and dutiful about it. And the reason I bring up David Lee Roth is he made a fantastic point about Freddie Mercury on this podcast last night. He said he had a famous black African-American producer, and the guy said, how could you possibly know what it's like to be black in this country? And uh, David, in a very kind of cheeky, sarcastic way, says, I do it every night on stage. <laughs> and his point was this, is that he was trying to mimic Otis Redding. From when the, he was a kid, he was trying to mimic Otis Redding and Wilson Pickett. He was trying to mimic the early black singers, soul singers from the 60s. And that he said most rock music is that. Like the it style is. of singing yeah. really is it that. Is. Yeah. If you if you listen to the the runs and stuff that they do with their voices, yes. But not Freddie Mercury. Freddie Mercury was very European. He was like opera. skilled in opera and all sort like French cafe music and like just all sorts of weird stuff Americans just wouldn't see, wouldn't know. Plus, he had his I think what was it Indian background. Like he just had a, a this unique background. Then he gets hooked up with guys that were based in the blues from America. Yeah, and it becomes this like operatic but rocking sound, and it still like speaks yeah. to people today. And I'm just kind of pushing back watching this podcast. Go, man, that's a fantastic. I didn't know David Lee Roth was so brilliant worldly. and so thoughtful and worldly. Yeah. I thought he was, you know, the hot for teacher guy. Buying <laughs> like, weed in Washington in a park. Right. From you know, kid. I thought, what is this guy? And that's really cool. I, I love, and I've been on the subject before, the okay. world of the podcast and of long form open conversations. It's like the printing press. But for the spoken word. And well, well, so we're able to, you know, a lot of these people, like Michael Jackson, Prince, uh, David Lee Roth himself, uh, any famous person, like even hell, even reality stars like the Kardashians, if you actually took the time to sit down and talk to them, like, what is it that led you to the success, so to speak, that you have? And sometimes it's luck and people just do get lucky. But then a lot of the time it's like, it is hard work, but it's not just hard work. It's like working on the right things and having the drive and a focus drive. and a vision. Yeah, but at the same time, you have drive. to think, before before America was introduced to the idiot box, a.k.a. television, mm -hmm. that's what radio was. Oh, Families yeah. would gather around the radio to hear people read stories. Oh, Aliens absolutely. Yeah, you know, cow worlds, yeah. yeah, cowboy stories, space stories, like a lot of the stuff that like, Star Trek used in its first season. Detective noir stories. Yeah, yeah, yeah. were from radio stories. Mm -hmm. You know, Lost in Space, all of that started off as like radio stories. Well, that's the history of most mediums. What happens, like early on in radio, 
early on in television, what do you see? You you literally have them doing a production of like Much Ado About Nothing by Shakespeare. Like they're doing Shakespeare. They're doing things that were always meant for a stage. Yeah, and yeah, then, yeah. But they have the sound effects, you know, right. the saw. But then that's the beginning of, okay, we have this new thing, how do we deal with it? Okay, we're going to do Shakespeare, we'll have the sound effects, we'll play with people's imagination with just audio. And in television, it's kind of like a stage, but not really. We could do all sorts of interesting effects you couldn't do in person on, say, a Broadway stage or an Alabama Shakespeare Festival here in town. And as they realize, ooh, our medium is unique, the product, the art of it, becomes more and more developed. Yes. To where I think radio in some ways has been forgotten. Hopefully it won't be too long. But podcasting is coming back. Yes. And it's bringing back that storytelling that was originally in radio early on. And also television has really perfected itself. There's a lot of crap television out there, but then you look at certain shows, and you know they're they're masterpieces. The Sopranos is a masterpiece. Breaking oh, cool. Bad is a fantastic Inside show. Inside the actor's studio. Well, that's that, a The Wire. Show. Well, I love for, those for, two for, guys just sitting there see, talking. See, see, right? for, for, for me, it's stuff like The Wire. The uh, Wire's fantastic. Uh, Special Victims Unit, Law and right. Order. All the Law and Orders, basically. The early Law and Orders. Right there. The early Law and Orders. And so it makes me wonder what will be the unique entertainment or art or storytelling, whatever you want to call it. doesn't have to just be for, you know, laughs and craps and giggles. Like, what will be uniquely of the internet? And and I think part of it will be kind of very down-to-earth. And But we're running out of time. We've been talking all night. I can't forget this, Brandon. I can't forget this, Seth. Folks, if you have that little dog, that little cat, and you need some help with how do I feed them correctly? How do I make sure they're happy and healthy? Go buy four healthy pets on the Atlanta Highway. Don't feed them crap. No, don't go to the big box store and just grab the cheapest thing. No, go see Teresa at Four Healthy Pets. It's the Village East Shopping Center. Tell her Joey sent you. Skate Haven, where it used to be. Where Skate Haven used to be. It's right on the same side of Atlanta Highway, right next to Faulkner University. And that little shopping center. Little shopping center. Faulkner. And Teresa will hook you up with high-quality, all-natural they're great for your pet's health. Brands that she has resourced, and because they are sourced responsibly, she's trying to share this with you. It's what she does for her own pets. She can help you out also with treats, though, and toys, and they even do grooming over there at Four Healthy Pets. Meowwana. Chicken crack. Love chicken crack, too. All these great products over there at Four Healthy Pets, so stop on by. Tell Teresa. Joey said hi. Or visit them online. You can find out more specials of the month at fourhealthypetsonline.com F-O-R healthypetsonline.com and with that, we're out of time. 